Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to the pod. We've got a new guest today. Uh, thank you for bearing with us in our uh, dark week. We were off uh, for last weekend, but um, we're back here today with Alan and Patrick, who's got a lot uh, to tell us about emotional sobriety because he's been involved. Well, let's talk about how we met Patrick. Let's let's introduce everybody to that. So you started this these workshops for the Berlin Group. And how long ago was that? Thank you for inviting me, by the way. I love you both, you guys. You know, you've been uh, tremendous support to our group and to me personally so first of all thank you for that yeah. and um yeah i was living in berlin and um in 2019 had started a workshop group on a sunday and we were uh, the the format for that was uh, to use joe McHugh's step study uh, videos from youtube i love joe McHugh, joe from joe and charlie and uh, I found that he explains the steps so well and um, has a good sense of humor as well. <laughs> so that was good. And so we were taking a group, you know, we were just a group of us, maybe 12 to 20 people would show up on a Sunday and we'd do a step a week and people would get homework assignments. And it was a lot of newcomers coming in and wanting first time around the steps. And then COVID hit, of course. And, uh, we went online with that meeting as a beginner's meeting. And uh, then we wanted to continue with the step workshops. So we started doing the, again, just using the Joe McHugh method on a Monday. And we would get, you know, 10 people show up, maybe 20. And that was fine. We weren't trying to build anything. We were just trying to just keep sober ourselves and help out some people who were new to the program was really a beginner's meeting focus and then one of our members was having difficulties in his sobriety with his emotions he said to me that we didn't seem to know anything about emotional sobriety and that's what he wanted to know about <laughs> and uh he had really you know this is a person and if you go to enough meetings you'll find you know, uh, everybody's everybody's welcome. Sometimes people can get disruptive and maybe be asked to leave. Or, and and he was that 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 was the case with him. And and we're I was trying to work with him. And um, so he said, "Well, <laughs> you don't know anything about emotional sobriety either. So I don't know if you can help me." I said, "Well, let me see if I can find somebody who does, and maybe he'll help you." <laughs> so, so that was uh, when I started Googling emotional sobriety and, and see Dr. Alan Berger, emotional sobriety. And I listened to you on YouTube and I thought, wow, this guy is great. And, um, and that's when I contacted you. Okay. That's the story behind it. That's, that's the story. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's amazing. That's a great, that's an inspirational story for everyone. Look, there's, well, yeah, because here was a guy, you know, in AA, they say, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, the, you're either an example or a warning. And sometimes the people who are a warning are the best, ex best example, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, say that again so people can hear that. Well, it, I've often heard it said, and I've, I've heard, I've, I use this line, in AA, you're either an example or a warning. And sometimes the people who are a warning, you know, we say, oh, that guy don't, you know, do like, well, 
you know, maybe he's helping you more than anybody else. Yes. You know, go try to help him and maybe you'll find out a lot more, you know. Right on. So, so that guy was one of those guys. And believe me, I've been that guy myself in AA. I've been an example and I've been a warning. And so I consider myself a double winner. Yeah. So you reached out to me at that point and you said, hey, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's when I reached out to you. You came along and uh, all of a sudden we had a Zoom, the basic Zoom, which allows 100 people to come in. And we'd put out some flyers saying that you were coming along for a couple of weeks. You know, we've been sending out flyers and there were a lot of WhatsApp groups sprouting up in Europe more than in the United States at that time. And so I was on a whole bunch of those. So I just sent flyers out saying, Dr. Alan Berger, workshop at Emotional Sobriety. And lo and behold, we filled up to the 100-person capacity right away, if you remember. And then we didn't record it. We didn't. And so, you know, we were all new to Zoom. We were in a meeting. We were unsure. We hadn't taken a group conscience about recording. And so well, then when we took a group conscience, we said, well, rather than sort of deal with out of respect for the AA traditions, really not trying to do an end run around the traditions saying, well, we're autonomous. We can do what we want, which I kind of disagree with, but uh, I think is there are parameters and, and I'm, and, and I'm all for the singleness of purpose of AA meetings. And we wanted to invite others who could avail themselves of this great information. So we decided as a group that we would just do it not under the auspices of AA, but just create a group that was a recovery group open to anybody who's interested in the subject matter we cover. And then once we did that, and once we increased our Zoom capacity to 500 people, all of a sudden we were getting 200, 400 people show up at meetings. And then we increased it to 1,000 for one meeting, and we had about over 900 show up. This was at the height of COVID when People were really, it started to explode this whole idea of doing workshops and, and, and it's, it's ongoing, by the way, it, I, I sort of thought after when we got into 2022, well, maybe this will be a phase and it'll, it'll, everybody will be back in their live meetings, but actually there is a need for this type of, these types of groups. And there are many of them now on zoom. And this this idea of doing workshops open to everybody has really taken off in the in the recovery community. Seen that too. I think that there's a real upsurge about an interest in emotional sobriety specifically. And you That's know, right. you a great job at, at really opening up that whole area and inviting people in that can contribute to the discussion in any kind of ways, which is what I did. You know, I looked at all these other master psychotherapists in terms of how what you know, what they were talking about was related to what Bill Wilson was talking about in emotional sobriety and started and you're and you're continuing with that tradition, which I love. I love the the workshops that you've been offering in the, at the Berlin group on Mondays. Well, thanks, Alan. You know, you were an inspiration, too, when you used the line uh, recovery is the discovery of new possibilities. Yeah. And in fact, we have that on all our flyers now. It says friendly circle Berlin workshop. Discover new possibilities. There it is. It's on our website. We we have a website. I mean, look, this this we didn't plan any of this. That's it right. just kind of happened organically because people like you came along, 
And then others who came along and said, I'd like to do service and I have this idea. Why don't we try this? And we were just open to these new possibilities. And because of the, the freedom of uh, not being restricted by having to have a business meeting every two minutes, you know, uh, I understand, by the way, I understand. I go to AA business meetings and, and I'm all for the group conscience and I'm all for the traditions. I'm, we're not trying to, you know, do an end run around anything. We're, we're, we're just trying to do something still within the recovery community, but just open to everybody. That's all. Patrick, I uh, really enjoyed when you visited me in the desert uh, recently, or you weren't necessarily visiting me, but you're out here doing some business. Uh, and we went to a meeting and uh, I love how thoughtfully and expansively you talk about recovery. And you've been uh, at this a while in different iterations, but I'd love to hear about, you know, a recovery focused more about fo focused more around emotional sobriety what that means to you and what it's done for you, um, especially in like these last few tumultuous years. Sure. Well, you know, um, I came into AA in 1989. My sobriety date was April 14th of 1989. And um, in San Francisco, it was a very, very big, broad kind of AA meetings meeting scope you know big city san francisco especially so it had many influences and i enjoyed that and um i don't think i missed a meeting for the uh, any day in my first seven years and then i became very successful in my career thanks to being sober <laughs> like like we say I, I go to work and when i'm at work i do my work you know that's what we do that's the sober life <laughs> and so so i i then got into business and so on and it became successful and everything else involved as a partner with a business and 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 that took a lot of my focus away and then was then married we had two children and um, i became very very busy and i would say that um I was never a very emotionally dysregulated person, you know. I was pretty even keeled. That's just my nature. Um, I would say that one of the things I learned a lot from emotional sobriety is how to be in a relationship. I wasn't very good at that. And um, so, and, and, and I would say I, was, uh, I wasn't dealing with my tendency to be a workaholic. So there was a lot of things that, you know, I was going to meetings and, but it became over time more like just tick the box, go to AA, you know, I've been to the meeting. I did three meetings this week, you know, just, and then every now and again, I would lapse and not go to meetings for a month or two. And my, maybe my ex-wife would say something like, you need to go to a meeting, <laughs> you know? So, so definitely emotional sobriety to me isn't just for people who are emotionally dysregulated, it's for anybody. And even you say that, Alan, because the tools of emotional sobriety will help in so many ways in, in how, to, how to be in a relationship is number one, I think. Again, as so many people come to our meetings say, I've been in AA 20 years, I've never heard of emotional sobriety. <laughs> you know, what is this all about? It seems to be this secret you know we don't talk about that you know and and even in aa you'll hear people say things like oh 
it the chapter reads into action not into feelings and you know so it's, you know hey nothing I, I i would never put down aa i'm just saying what goes on right the aa is a, a microcosm of society you know and that's what goes on in society with guys and especially and so i think that the tools of emotional sobriety that alan's drawn out of this emotional sobriety letter his breakdown of the letter are phenomenal the book the 12 essential insights is phenomenal and your work is phenomenal everybody you know alan so many guys have thanked me for you so <laughs> i said well <laughs> it's nice to hear it's nice to hear yeah. No, I, I resonate with you, too, because I do think that its greatest application is how we're in relationship with other people, our ability to love and be in a healthy relationship. It's it's so pertinent and relevant to that dimension of our life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 how to, you know, it takes a lot of work. I mean, as of course, we all talk about their emotional age gets stunted where our emotional age is what the age we were when we started drinking. And I started when I was 13, you know, and I became a very heavy drinker daily at the age of 16 and a maintenance drinker always went to work, but always worked around the booze industry, you know, restaurants, then nightclubs and bars and so on. And everybody drank. We did a lot of other stimulants to keep us awake and keep us working. <laughs> so that was my lifestyle. That's all I knew. I didn't know how to be in a marriage. I hadn't got any tools for that and became overwhelmed. Work then became an escape to get away from it. And uh, so the pressures of life in general... And I ended up having a relapse after 24 years of being sober over all of this. So um, that's where the example, I was a good example for many years. And then, like I said, I'm a warning too. Yeah. You know, I, I relapsed after 24 years. I had a nervous breakdown. I ended up in the psych ward before I drank. And it was through prescription drug, uh, you know, you know, when you go to the emergency room, having a panic attacks and, and you're falling apart, they're not they're not going to be like uh, bring you over to a couch and sit you down and have a psychotherapist like Carl Jung come along. They're just going to see what meds can we put this guy on so he doesn't jump off the bridge, you know, to cover our insurance. But <laughs> that's the truth of the med the healthcare system in the United States. Anyway, that that was my experience of it. We we yeah. speak from our own experience. I'm sure there are good, I'm sure there are good examples out there. I just that was my experience, and so the prescription medication that I started abusing uh, was playing havoc with my mind, and I found I couldn't work, and um, and I couldn't be at home, and I couldn't seem to be anywhere. So I thought screw it you know yeah. i know what works one day i i picked up and uh and you know the crazy part it worked for me for a while <laughs> until it didn't you know the the old story but i drank for five years and almost that's how i ended up in germany i went through a divorce we did did, did, did divorce happen after the relapse or was did the divorce during, during the relapse yeah it was too much for my 
dear ex-wife were very close friends and the kids were very, very close today, thankfully, because I love them dearly. And, um, but it, you know, they hadn't seen me drinking. It was a shock, you know? So it was yeah. a, as amicable of a divorce as we could have done. We sort of made arrangements and I separated. We, we separated. I, w I decided I would go to Berlin, Germany, where I used to go as a teenager when I was living in London to get drunk, you know, I thought maybe now in my late fifties, I'll do that again. <laughs> How did you get back to the program, Patrick? Well, I was in Berlin. I, I was going to, you know, you can drink around the clock in Berlin. And close to where I my my apartment, there were four or five 24-hour bars, you know. <laughs> and I was drinking 24-7. And I, had, I got to the point of having to have alcohol in my system. Otherwise, I'd get the DTs, you know. And uh, so... But I got very, very sick, and I wasn't treating it because I didn't have a doctor over there. And um, I was just going to the pharmacy and getting different things. And I didn't know how sick I was, but I was coughing up blood. And uh, I just decided one day I better get back to San Francisco, go to the emergency room at General Hospital. That thought came to my mind <laughs> in my morning meditation. <laughs> no, just kidding. But, um, uh, but I did. And then... Uh, and when I got there, they said that I had pneumonia, advanced, quite advanced, and could hardly breathe, you know. And um, I don't know when I think about it, how I even managed to get there, but I did. You know, we're very tenacious, <laughs> us alcoholics and addicts. And so then at general, they said, well, we, you need to stop drinking. You know, that's an advanced stage, alcoholism and liver, everything. I was totally overweight and bloated, and I was a mess. So they gave some medication, like an anti-abuse type thing. And um, so I said, what will happen if I drink? Oh, you can't drink on that. You'll be violently ill. So I thought, well, I know what to do. Go to the nearest bar, get a drink, and be violently ill. I've done that before. <laughs> wow. Yep. Right on, huh? So so I was I just continued right on, and that went on for a few more months. And then I was back in the Bay Area, though. And my brother, who's in the program, my ex-wife, my children... Um, friends in the program, one of whom was the very first guy I sponsored in AA, Stephen, came to the rescue and they did an intervention, really. They just, they just, I didn't know where I was going, but I was in the back of a car being driven to Henry Olaf's uh, house in San Francisco, put in a, a plug here for Henry Olaf house in San Francisco, the oldest uh, rehab facility in the city. And it's a not-for-profit and, uh, they have very good rates and they, they're focused very much on 12 step and AA. And that was in 2018 in, in June. And, um, I was, I fell down the stairs twice. I was a mess, you know, you were a mess. and, uh, about four days in, I started going to group and, uh, could at least sit down and, and take something in. And then when I started, when I went back to my first AA meeting, I felt I was home, you know, and I felt kind of like when I first came in, just throw in the towel and just do what's suggested. So I'm a big fan of basic AA, you know. And I went to that home group Monday through Friday for a year and then other meetings on the weekend and sometimes a meeting at night. And, you know, I just focused 
on uh, smart feet recovery, as we call it, <laughs> around the rooms, and do all the suggestions, get commitments, and so on and so forth, get a sponsor. It very, very nuts and bolts of AA, which which I love. They'll always be reliable, no matter what, no matter how much I know about emotional sobriety, I still need to have that. You know, what is it they say? Herb likes to use the line, feet on the ground and head in the clouds, <laughs> rather than the other way around. I mean, right. Sort of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you say uh, when you say throw in the towel, I understand that so intimately. The kind of surrender that you're describing, and it was of the alcoholism was a project of, in a strange in a strange way, it was self care. It was like it was a solution that had worked for you in the past that you were clinging to, and at a certain point, you just had the writing was on the wall. And I think as for as a lot of people who get sober, you know, it, at a certain point the critical mass just gets, if it doesn't kill you, right, it gets to a point where you just need to pivot. And especially since you'd had experience with recovery before you had 24 years, you had some sense at least of like, how you might be able to get a grip back on, right? Yeah, like, that's a good point. You know, the in therapy world, they call it a maladaptive coping strategy. Right. <laughs> and, uh, or as Joe and Charlie used to go, you used to say, it, I love Joe and Charlie. <laughs> is when they would uh, read the big book and dissect every sentence when they would get to the ninth step promises they would they would start with when i took a drink and they would read each promise when i took a drink fear of people and of economic insecurity would leave me when i took a drink i would intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me <laughs> And it's so interesting that you can preface each promise with when I took a drink, those those promises came true for us. <laughs> but they get to a point where they backfire and take us down. Yeah. You know, it's um, cunning, baffling, powerful. Yeah. So so you're right. I mean, there's always no matter what the behavior is. The, the idea of looking at it as a coping strategy rather than a, you know, I, I've always, one of certain, certain themes, I kind of go like the seven deadly sins, things. Like, I mean, these are just, I like maladaptive coping strategy. I can kind of relate. I can see, yeah, that was me. I, that's why I did it. And, takes away the shame and the guilt and and uh, can see myself as a sick person rather than a bad person and uh yeah so true so true you know and what happens with those things is, you know the, the way ernie larson says it which i love him he's so his, his writings about recovery are, are so powerful and so insightful he says we're looking for the right thing in the wrong places and the go. way that I translate that is that we're looking for that freedom, for that emotional freedom. And when I drank, I was free. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. Those other yeah. things bother me, right? I mean, they, for a very brief period of time, I had relief. Yeah. You know? And and the problem was, is that it really wasn't changing anything. You know, it was creating an artificial uh, freedom. 
and that you and I now, you know, can see is that boy, when you start to get a hold of these principles of emotional sobriety, you can create a spiritually and psychologically grounded freedom. Yeah. One that really can, as Bill said, can and, and does work under any conditions whatsoever. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it is an exciting thing. I mean, it's very exciting. And I, Boy, I didn't know all this about your story, Patrick. I'm quite touched and moved. Thank yeah. God you're I'm so grateful that you're here with us. Yeah, it was touch and go for quite a while. You know, it was touch and go. And I had... I've been had, in a touch and go place right now myself, as you know, with the... Yeah, yeah. And all the yeah. stuff I've been going through. And thank God for all the support I get from you and and Susie and Tom and, and Roger and Herb and Patrick and all kinds of outpouring. I don't know what I would have done without all that support, man, to tell you the truth. I don't think I could have made it. You're part of the family, Alan. Can I ask yeah. you guys, this is a question of both of you. Um, you both work with people. You work with guys that are struggling. Alan works with me. Um, Patrick, I, I, you've spoken about having some sponsees. Now, in terms of the... Uh, the warnings and the examples like is there anything kind of present tense that's uh you know been helping you in your uh, evolving understanding of emotional sobriety and in you know your kind of everyday emerging new sense of recovery um with the people you work with yeah i mean i'm thinking more um with the group i would say i am working with uh with, with a couple of people but I would say with the group, what I've learned so much of late is um, in these workshops that we've been doing, because I learned so much from these workshops, is the uh, somatic side of things, the body. And we've delved into that a lot. And, and new modalities in the psychotherapy field. Um, we've been doing workshops on IFS, internal family systems. And I find that a wonderful approach to especially understanding the parts of myself because they talk about parts and it's it the way it's broken down makes so much sense because i mean we say it all the time i i hate that part of myself or this part of myself that does this or does that and so they break it down into those parts gives name to the parts and helps you to understand and to also embrace the parts and see those parts that we maybe put put down within ourselves that are also just trying to help us cope yeah. so and 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 just the, the 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 we just did a workshop on uh um shame and guilt uh, to do with internal family systems so that was really helpful, that stuff. And and yesterday we started a new book study by Dr. Raja Selvan uh, on the theme of his new book, which is called The Practice of Embodying Emotions. Mm -hmm. So again, it's because of this interest in emotional sobriety within the group, there has been, you know, I've been prompted really by a lot of the members, hey, why don't we look into this? Or why don't we look into that? So I kind of like, you know, people that always say to me, how come you get these great speakers? I say, oh, I just asked them. It's not, it's not, I don't know. Any, they think I'm connected in this world. I'm not. I just I find them online. Where do you find them? YouTube. <laughs> and so then they usually have a website. And so I'll, I'll get hold of them. And so I would say 
in 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 terms of of emotional sobriety that's been a fascinating journey of course with alan's work which started us going down this road and now it's opened up you know and that's been fascinating so there's there's that there's always the the situation with new people i tend to i like to sponsor brand new people and and get them sort of a firm grounding in the steps and we do our beginners meeting every sunday we we have these simple suggestions for beginners about changing routines and behavior early on mostly changing routines developing new habits you know and um so i just came off that meeting actually so i i still really enjoy being at beginners meetings and working with people, if they ask me to sponsor them, they're brand new. I'll give them my number, and 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 those are the guys I like to work with the most, to be honest. You know, kind of reminds me of myself when I came in, and brings me right back there, and maybe keeps me right sized. You know what I mean? That's what I like to do. It's amazing the amount of action or the amount of business that you can get done through your phone. You know, you're international, oh, oh, <laughs> you do all kinds of yeah meetings and the resources yeah. that you're wired into are pretty incredible. Yeah, it just, like I said, none of it was planned. It just kind of sprouted with Zoom. That's where I, you know, and you'll hear this all the time where people say I'm this, this great thing that came out of, you know, a global pandemic was this uh, way that the, the recovery community connected worldwide. And it brought in sort of, like if you're going to when things get disrupted and changed it's usually it's because of ideas that are come in from the periphery to the center that we maybe would have missed otherwise and so zoom gives us this great opportunity for some small group to sprout up with a new type of meeting a new format a new book that they're they're reading from and they can get the word out to thousands of people instantly on whatsapp and facebook groups and so on and have a hundred people show up. You try doing that in your little local town. Be lucky if you get two people, three people show up. <laughs> I'm in a town like that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll never forget the first AA meeting that I started. You know, I was, I was coming up to a year, and uh, I was going back to work, and I had a day job that didn't take up too much time in a restaurant, and just go and do a few hours work as a waiter. And it paid real well. It was a high-end restaurant in San Francisco. And then I wanted to earn a little more money. So somebody offered me a job in the restaurant in the evening. And I thought I'll, and, uh, on Fridays and Saturday nights, real busy restaurant, great tips and everything. I thought, I'll take that. But then on Friday, it left me that I couldn't go to my usual meeting. So I thought, okay, I'll start a meeting on Friday mornings at uh, uh, 7 a.m. downtown by Union Square. And um, went to the central office and they said well we can't put it in the uh directory until you're going for a couple of months you know come back and see us and bought some literature and they had a coffee pot i got coffee went around there told everybody about it and i thought oh well we get a big showing you know <laughs> i went around there made coffee already went an hour in advance and nobody showed up <laughs> and then about I'm sitting there drinking the coffee, reading the book, and I'm thinking, and then the guy wanders in off the street and uh, 
a guy I'd seen come into meetings who always kind of wandered in late, late and sat in the back and never talked to anybody. And he was lived in one of the hotels downtown. He wanders in and he sits down way in the back, but there's only me sitting at the front. So I said to him, do you want to read the book? I wasn't even sure if he could talk. We ended up, he moved up and the two of us just sat there talking. It was great. <laughs> it was cool. great. And he, he ended up beca becoming a real part of the meeting. Oh, great. Cool. Because I said, you're me and you are the co-founders of this meeting. <laughs> and then bit by bit, people came. But, you know, on Zoom now, you can come up with an idea for a meeting and there's a whole network of uh, distribution of flyers. There's certain groups, all they do is distribute flyers. Wow. Other groups will make your flyer. You could maybe be on your first day of the meeting and have over a hundred people. You know, it's it's That's cool. wild. It's, it's the wild west out there. <laughs> it is the wild west out there. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I love it. I love what's going on in the whole Zoomosphere. But I love my live meetings. I'll go to a live meeting. Um, what is it? Sunday. There's a really good meeting at six o'clock in San Francisco. My brother will be there. He's got thirty-two years now. Oh, it's a family disease. There's 11 of us in the family. My brother's in the program. My sister in Dublin's in the program. Well, you know, Bill Wilson, I think, would be would have a big smile on his face today that he's seeing the interest in the, you know, the, that is, is his dream is becoming a reality. It feels that it fits right in with this, with the recovery journey, so to speak. I mean, when, when I first came in, I was just, the fact that I could just not drink and not have this urge to drink after about, the urge went away from me in the first 30 days. Now, some people were not all the same. But just the fact that you know, I, I, I came alive in sobriety, you know. I really did. And again, on the second go around, can I ask um yeah go ahead yeah um okay so towards the end of your first 24 years of recovery consecutive years of recovery and when things kind of started to fall apart with the benefit of hindsight um what do you think the missing component may have been with that and especially with the eye towards emotional sobriety because I'm I recently celebrated uh, five years of continuous sobriety. It's the most I've ever had. And um, there's been, there has been like a kind of, um, because the obsession, the daily obsession is lifted, but um, there's still a lot of furniture I have to move around, uh, emotional furniture. And I, I mean, I'm just grateful that I have a conception of an idea of the, the work is becoming more emotionally sober as a practice and uh, kind of looking at my unhealthy dependencies. And um, there's a whole other project now that I've achieved some measure of physical sobriety. Um, but is that something that like you were still working to grasp uh, at least the first time that you got sober, that maybe you're coming when you're, you're coming back around and you're having a better understanding of it now? Well, actually that's a really, it's a really good point because this, this this happens for so many of us. Um, so in the 
where is it? Somewhere between steps nine and 10 in the big book that says it's easy to let up of the spiritual course of action and rest in our laws. It doesn't say it's hard. Oh, once you're wired in, that's it. You're done. No, it's easy to let up. And so many places we talk about, you know, some people early on, somebody said to me, what, man, what does it feel like? I'd love to know, you know, you went out after 24 years. How did that happen? And I said, well, maybe, maybe I got my 24s mixed up, <laughs> you know? Maybe I didn't hear. Maybe I had so much cotton wool in here. I did. They were talking about 24 hours all along. <laughs> I thought they were saying 24 years and you're done. No. So I'm, I kind of, because I, I'll say things in jest, you know, because I didn't know what to say to him. I thought this, this sounds good. And then I thought, actually, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and so often I'll hear from experts in the field who will say that, consistency and routines no matter what it is being consistent is so much the key because we can learn we can have these epiphanies and learn these great concepts ideas have these great experiences nothing lasts mm -hmm. okay all of a sudden we get into a, a conniption at work or with somebody and all that knowledge has gone out the window you know, and we're back with trying to deal with the situation. And this is where the body, the somatic-based work is helping me right now because then I sort of think, well, what's going on in my body right now? Slow yeah. down, locate it, and spread it around. And do a, a do a, a mindfulness exercise, you know. It's like that, re, re, uh, you know, not responding on instinct, on impulse, I mean. And it's like so, getting to that pause place, isn't it, Patrick? Yeah, exactly. So in answer to that question, I think there's no silver bullet. There's no, there's no, oh, well, if you do all this, 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 and this, you're going to be fine. That's like the idea of, um, what is it, spiritual calculus? You know, well, it's not an algorithm. It's not something you can calculate. If I'm, now that I've learned what he did wrong and what and, and what I should do right, that can all go out the window in an instant when something deeply troubling comes along in an emotional situation, you know, in a relationship situation where we thought it was this and then we discover it's not. Holy shit. You know? And then all of a sudden, no matter what knowledge we have. Um, so I would say that I had, I had got to the point with my sobriety. I remember being, 23 years sober at a meeting and I was talking at the during my meeting about some difficult situation I was going through and a guy came over to me after and he was you know trying to help and be helpful and offered me some suggestions and, and I remember saying to him well at least I know I won't drink over it well famous last words you know the point is that I had gotten to a point where I thought I know what to do. If I do this, this, and this, this will happen. In other words, I'm in charge here. And there is a point in AA where it tells us we're not in charge. That's right. You know, and, but, but the, it, you see that the, it's a very, and Herb alludes to this a lot. We still have to go out and, 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 and be, be in charge of our lives, right? We got to 
show up at work on time. We got to with certain things. We have my, I always have my to-do list, got to do this, this, and this. And um, the idea being that um, God's not driving the bus or driving the car. I'm driving the car, but I got to take direction like the GPS. I, I got to find a way. Now, how do I find a way? Well, the 11th step in the morning is an incredibly powerful way to do it. An 11th step practice practiced every morning and and the the 10th step through the day just it becomes ingrained i carry it around in my pocket the 11th step in in synopsis in the little pocket cards that i get that they sell them at alano clubs and so on the 24-hour card i always have those and i give them the newcomers with my name on and phone number but i need it for myself yeah. to just stop and 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 i every morning i have a have my little simple practice where i reflect on what i got to do today and uh and i and i and i wait for some intuitive thought that might tell me you know you don't need to do that you need to do this <laughs> and it'll come out of the blue but if i don't slow down and and have so i would say i would say what i've noticed is that with i mean you ask guys who 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 relapse use the usual thing is not having a practice. Yeah. That's it. it. It's as simple as that. And, and, and it doesn't matter what the practice is. It's different for everybody, but there are, there are tools that are, can be adopted by anybody. Quite simple tools, really. Man, I need to get on that. What is it? They say simple, simple tools for complicated people or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's a big question and it's a, it is the the it is the the million dollar question because you know um my old one of my old uh, oldest friends in the program harry said that uh he would always go up to guys and and offer them his number when they when they when they came back after a relapse he liked to work with guys who had relapsed to try to set them back on the path and, and let them know it was okay and that they were welcome back but he would always ask them what do you think led up to that and it was always not having a program they might have even been going to meetings i was going to meetings close to when i realized i was going to meetings but i wasn't hearing anything my mind was somewhere else I was so caught up with all this stuff that was going on. And then I was on medication that couldn't, I couldn't focus on anything, couldn't sleep properly, you know? So there was a lot of dysregulation just well, on that. Well, your point though is so well taken here that going to meetings does not mean you have a program. That's just right. On the meetings, going to meet, having a program <clears throat> involves so much more than just going to meetings. It involves you know, practicing these principles in all our affairs. It's yeah, really exactly. integrating these these principles and these concepts into our daily life. And, you know, that's where even, you know, we Herb, you'll hear Herb talk about his his question to Fred Holmquist one day about when did going to meetings become the program, right? Yeah. It was in the 70s when people said, go to 90 meetings in 90 days as if those that's going to give you a program. Now it yeah. might because of what you experienced there, but it's got it's got to go beyond meetings. Yeah. It's got to be, yeah. 
It's got it. Now, some people stay sober with just meetings. I'm not faulting them. If that works for you, fine. But there's so much more available. There is. And it, it's it's actually, it, it just takes a little additional time That's right. every day. But the time, the more the more time I put it into it, the more time I seem to have. Yeah, that's a nice. Way I, have, I, I have time for all sorts of other things. I'm in the flea market today. I've been, I got up at five this morning. I love being in the flea market early bird. I get my deals. But, um, you know, it's it's um, and I love just this interaction. I, lo I know people there and we're chit chatting and I have a good time because I'm not burdened. With stuff. I was very burdened with everything when I right before I had my relapse. Everything was a burden, you know. And uh, thankfully, I can report it is no longer. But I, I, I think that 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 the more work I put into the developing these practices and being involved with uh, the workshop group and so on and so forth, the friendly circle, which I love my involvement there and people seem to be resonating with what we're doing and i get a charge out of that you know i love to see people show up and let it and, and saying how much to get out of it. i mean it, it, it feels great you know to be part of that you know and then other people coming in and being so supportive on the service level and you know it's it's uh no i mean the recovery community has so much to offer and especially now with, with the fact that we have this uh, ability to communicate the way we are doing right here. And there's thousands of Zoom meetings going on every day all over the place. So I, I think that, again, getting back to how to stay sober, avail, <laughs> it's all available. It's all available. But, you know, we get caught up. I get caught up with uh, distractions and and then one of the nice things about being involved with people from all the different groups is that maybe you find that <laughs> you can fit in there too. What is it? One of our presenters said recently, I, I came to AA and they said it was a bridge to normal living, but then I really found out it was more like a tunnel to another program. Great <laughs> <laughs> right way to say it. <laughs> so I've discovered some, some aspects of my maladaptive behavior could use some help in other areas too. So that's another good thing of the cross pollination of the, the groups, you know? So true. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Patrick. My pleasure. Wonderful conversation with you. And my pleasure. Appreciate you very much. So I respect you very much. So, and I'm very grateful for all that you've done for so many people in terms of exposing them to, to these concepts well it keeps me sober you know so all those people are keeping me sober <laughs> and i thank them all for my sobriety you know and and really alan honestly you've been a, a just a pleasure to be around you and i really enjoy seeing you show up in the zoom and we got to meet hey london may first week twenty, and patrick Please. I'm ho I'm hoping I can make it. It sounds fantastic. Hey, our AV guy. Hey. We're going to Because I think it should also be uh, like a hybrid style, like go on Zoom as well. Yeah, that's right. We're looking for a room in central London. Cool. That's great. I'm I'm all for it. I'm I'm there. 
I plan to go over to Europe around that time anyway to see some of the French Open. That's <laughs> of course later, I think. The twentieth, yeah. is it? You yeah. know, I'm not going to dates this year. It's uh, so I might just be staying in Europe for quite some time. That's fine with me. Fabulous. Well, let me know because um, you know the we have so many connections in throughout Europe now. I mean, this is another wonderful thing. And um, just if anybody's listening to the podcast, what we're talking about is on the first weekend of May in 2024, the Lo the London AA International Conference is going to be on the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of May. And many of our members will be attending that, some of them coming over from Ireland and other parts of Europe to attend. And we thought we would get a, have a get-together of the Friendly Circle Berlin Group in London the same weekend not trying to compete with the conference it's just so that we would maybe meet two three maybe four hours a day maybe do two sessions i don't know we can figure out the logistics so that people can do both right on that's a great idea i love the idea i'm very excited about it alan yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna get you a, a multitude of a different colored berets that you can wear while you're over there <laughs> and fit right in it's gonna be awesome change your life change your myth Cultivate your narrative wherever you